Happy Sabbath, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, the video that we just watched, uh, I know that it's a very, very uncomfortable video to watch, uh, to see somebody who is being so oppressed, so blatantly uh, outside in daylight for everyone to see. Um, but I still wanted to show that video. I'm sure some of you guys have watched it, and I know you probably didn't maybe even want to watch it. But the reason why I wanted to show you the video is because I really want us to live in reality. What I mean by that is it is so easy for us to be in our nice middle class Sacramento bubble and not recognize that this is the type of world that we're living in. In this kind of video, it really clears us. I, I know some people think, well, no, it actually, you know, if anything, it makes you more you know, foggy. You know, it, it gives more hatred and um, it, it makes you not think straight and react in a bad way. And I agree with that too. But at, yet at the same time, it's showing us what reality really looks like, what this world is. That this world is full of hatred and full of violence and full of death. And this is exactly why um, we're talking about end times. Because we really need Jesus to come back. You see, when we watch these kind of videos, it really shows us why we need a judge. Because injustice like these things happen. This thing really tells us that we need a judge who will keep us accountable for our actions, for our sins. That this is not okay. Today's verse is going to tell us exactly that. These verses are probably one of the most uncomfortable verses for Christians. But once again, we need this. Why? Because we are living in reality. This is the type of world we live in. And we have to deal with reality. This is from Matthew 25. As you guys know, we're on our end times series. So we're continuing on with that theme. This is from verse 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did, 
for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of God. Okay, so like I said, very uncomfortable parable, but actually a, a, a parable that is actually very, very simple. Uh, to use Soren Kierkegaard's words, this is what he says. He says, the Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. Okay? So, it's simple enough. We just want to make it complicated. We just want to skim over it. We just say, oh, this is too hard. This is uncomfortable. We just want to look over it. But again, we can't do that. These are, these are words of God. And so we must take it seriously. So, what is the parable? It's pretty much similar to all the three, two other parables that we went over in Matthew chapter 25. The first one we went over together, do you guys remember? It was the parable of the ten virgins. The five smart ones and the five foolish ones. After that, we went over last week, the good servants, the two of them with the five talent of gold and the two talent of gold, and the wicked one with the one talent of gold. And we see here, again, we see a comparison. We see the righteous and we see the wicked. Again, the theme throughout Matthew 25 between the three parables, there's talking about the same exact thing. Okay, now, one rabbit hole we need to plug up before we even uh, get to get started on this parable. The first one is, okay, this parable doesn't mean only social workers get to go to heaven. Okay, what I mean by that is, just because you do these things, feeding the hungry, helping the poor, okay, helping the oppressed, that doesn't mean you get into heaven. That's very, very important. We plug up that hole. Okay? This has nothing to do with, oh, we have to do good things. We have to go help the poor. Then, Jesus is going to get me to heaven. No, 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 no. This is, again, once again, we have to understand, that's not what it's talking about at all. Okay. Um, what this is talking about is the distinction between false and true Christians. Okay, this is not talking about Christians and pagans or Christians and sinners. No, no, no. This is not what it's talking about at all. It's talking about true believers and false believers, and that's what we've been talking about throughout Matthew twenty-five. Right? Second to to quote Second Timothy chapter three, 
and the end times, what's going to happen? There's going to be form of religiousness. There's going to be form of godliness. On the outside, you're not going to be able to tell who's real and who's fake. In Matthew 25, it's telling us, okay, look at yourself in the mirror. You think you're a Christian, but are you sure that you're a Christian? So we went over, are you sure that you're a Christian in the sense that you have a real relationship with God? Okay? Are you a real Christian in the sense that you are working for God and utilizing the talents that He has given you? And same thing here. It's telling us, do you care about the people that God cares about? Okay? Because if you are a true Christian, you would know God. And you would know that these are the people, the people who are oppressed, people who are hungry. These are the people that God cares about. And if you know God's heart, then you would also have a heart for them as well. Again, this is not talking about salvation. These are talking about people or characteristics of people who are already saved. That's very, very, very important distinction. So again, let's not get into the rabbit hole saying, all right, only, okay, I don't need Jesus. I just need to do good things and everything's okay. No, no, no. We're not saying that. This is not what the parable is saying whatsoever. Okay. All right. So uh, the best way to understand this, I know a lot of people get caught up with the whole like works and faith and what's the, you know, like how does this work? For me, the best quote that helps me to understand this is this it's actually from martin luther uh, but tim keller kind of modernized it and this is what he says he says we are saved by faith alone faith in jesus that he's the one who saves us okay we are saved by faith alone but not by faith that remains alone okay so if your real faith if this faith is not producing works it's not producing love for other people it's not producing real relationship with Jesus. If you're just using Jesus instead of finding Him beautiful. Okay? If faith is not leading you to different actions or transformation, then you know that it's not real. And this is exactly what the parables are talking about. Okay? They're all saying the same thing in essence. They're talking about different aspects of it. But in essence, they're talking about there's going to be two types of people. They both look religious. They're both doing good things on the outside. And yet, and yet, okay, one group of people, they're real. This is real faith. The other group, it's not. So, before we go into a little bit deeper, question that you need to ask yourself right away as we just read this very, very sobering text, which is, okay, do you have an heart for the poor and the needy and the oppressed? Okay. The reason I, I worded it very carefully, I didn't say, are you helping the poor? Or do, you, do you get angry about George Floyd incident? I don't say that, I'm not saying that, okay? Because anybody, can just help the poor once in a while. Okay? Anybody can get angry at social injustice once in a while. What I'm talking about is, 
do you really have a heart for it? That that's one of your main objectives in life. That we need to make this world heaven on earth, to use Jesus' term. And this is exactly what it's talking about here. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to let's talk about this together. Why does God care so much for the oppressed? Why does he care so much for the poor? Throughout the Bible, okay? God uses very strong languages to say Christians, believers, disciples, followers take care of the poor. Okay? Why is he so strong? Okay. I'm going to there's many different reasons and I could go over a lot of different reasons but I'm just going to go over two together the first one is this idea that we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 which is that every single human being are created in the image of God okay the Latin word is imago Dei it's this idea that every single human being have meaning and purpose and value why? Because they all have the trademark or the essence of God in them. So that means every single one of us, regardless of what they have done, regardless of their skin color, regardless of how much people, how much money they make, what kind of social scale they're at, even if they are flawed individuals, every single one of them they are still innately valued as human beings. Now, this is very, very important because you're not going to really, even though people might say it kind of, nowadays, you're really not hearing this that much. Okay? Because what we heard, especially if you went to public school, and just all over media, I mean, they're not going to, they're probably not going to say it like outright, but if you look at a lot of the movies, a lot of the, a lot of the shows that we watch you're gonna see this idea okay what's the idea it's a very contradicting idea to the idea imago day idea that I just presented the present idea the secular idea okay or the naturalist idea is that human beings we are not meaningful purposeful creatures why because all of us we're just byproduct of random collocation of atoms and molecules okay what I mean by that what do they what uh, what the skeptics what the atheists what the naturalists what they all say is well actually none of us really have ultimate value none of us actually have ultimate meaning you can create your own but ultimately no one can tell you what's right or wrong why because all of us we're just matter plus chance plus time Right? We, we evolved from dust, and in the end, we're going to go to dust again. This is what, I mean, there's so many quotes on uh, scientists and atheists saying these kind of things. Uh, not that all atheists or scientists say that, but uh, I'll give you one example. This is what uh, one uh, Chief Justice, Oliver Holmes, very infamous, infamously, this is what he says, especially because he's a Chief Justice. I mean, he's someone who's actually like judging people, but this is what he said. He says, when one thinks coldly, I see no reason for attributing to a man a significant difference in the kind from which belongs to a baboon 
or a grain of sand. Okay, do you guys understand what he's saying? Okay, this is a judge. Okay, that's why this is like, this is very alarming. Okay, because he's saying, well, if you really think about it, right? I mean, I don't believe in God. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. So, I mean, in the end, me and a monkey, what's the difference? Or let's just even go further. Me and sand, what's the difference? Okay, we all came from the same stuff anyways. Okay. Why am I talking about this? The reason why I'm talking about this is because if you believe that, okay, there is no reason for justice whatsoever then. You see, people are so surprised. People are like, oh my goodness, how can they do this kind of thing to George Floyd? How can, you know, Black, Black Lives Matter and there's so much racism, racism in America and no one is taking care of the poor. People are saying these things, but why are you surprised? In schools, you're telling them that people have no inherent value, that there is no ultimate meaning, that there is no ultimate good and bad. How do you think they're going to behave? They're going to behave, behave as though there is no meaning in life. They're going to behave as though there is no good or bad. They're going to behave in a way where they're going to say, you know what? I don't think black people's life matter. And who's going to tell me that I'm wrong? You see, why are we surprised when... What they're teaching us in school, we're just acting it out. But you see, for Christians, for Christians, this should make you absolutely angry. This should make you very indignant. Why? Because we believe that every single human being has value. Every single human being has meaning. For the atheists, for the skeptics who say there is no God, how about for them? So, quick question. For Christians who are watching this, if you are not angry at this kind of situation, if you're not angry at the world that we live in, which is full of injustice and war and violence, why aren't you angry? Why aren't you doing anything about it? Because if you truly say God created every single one of us, then we should be doing something about this. And that's exactly what Matthew 25 is talking about. It's continuing to say, you say you're a Christian. You say that you are made in the image of God. That you are forgiven. Then why aren't you doing the same? For the non-Christians, non for the skeptics, for the atheists who might be watching this, the question I want to ask you is, do you know what you are rejecting? You are rejecting the foundation of morality and meaning and purpose in your life. You might have looked at uh, videos like George Floyd and other uh, atrocities that's going on in this world, and you might say, that's horrible, that's unfair. How could God allow that? But don't you understand? You're rejecting the foundation which you stand upon to even make that kind of statement. Let's go to um, reason number two. Reason number two, the reason why God really cares about the poor and why we should care about the poor, we as in the real Christians, the Christians who really want to hold on to God, why we need to care about the poor, is because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
Essentially, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, the only way you will receive my blessing, the only way you will understand who I am is if you realize that you yourself are poor in spirit. Okay, what does Jesus mean? Jesus is essentially saying this, and this is the whole gospel message, right? The gospel message is you, me, every one of us, we are so spiritually dead that Jesus had to come all the way from heaven to earth to die for us instead. So that our hearts, which are so dead, spiritually so, so dead, we could be awakened again by His love so that we realize the mess that we're the mess that we're actually in. Now, why is this important? This is important because if you truly remember, I mean, again, a lot of Christians, they'll be able to say, oh, yeah, I, I believe that. I, yeah, Jesus died for me. I, I got baptized or, you know, I raised my hand. You know, I, I did that. But what Jesus is saying is if you truly understand that, then when you see people who are poor physically, People who are lazy physically, people who are not doing that well physically, you're not going to be saying, you lazy bums. You, you put yourself through that mess. It's your fault. You wouldn't have that dismissive attitude. Why? Because he's saying you yourself are spiritually homeless like them. You yourself are spiritually poor just like them. You spiritually are lazy just like them again this is really hard for us because most of us most of us especially the ones who are watching the most of the people at our church we don't think that we're poor in spirit most of us we just think we're middle class in spirit we're not high class i mean we, we got issues we got issues but we're not poor in spirit so we just want we just want Jesus. Uh, we're we're pretty good. We're God, Jesus. I'm pretty good. You just come to my hood. You just come to my place, and you just partner up with me in my endeavor. God, I I got some I got some projects that I want to do. You know, can you just support me? Come on. Or God, I got some emotional reasons. Can you just emotionally support me? Can you just be my personal counselor? But this whole like salvation, like you're a sinner, like that. No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good, Jesus. You see? And this is why we, a lot of us, we have a very dismissive attitude about the poor. We don't care about the poor either. Because we don't realize that we're just like them spiritually. But again, Jesus reminds us, do these verses. No, don't you understand? You were just like them spiritually. You were spiritually poor. You were spiritually thirsty. You were a prisoner of your addictions and your sins. And I came to save you. Don't you realize that? You see, if we look with that kind of lens, if we realize that we were spiritually poor, then when we look at who, people who are physically poor, then we don't look at them and just say, ah, get out of here but we can actually have a heart for them because we understand because we've been there before too. 
I love what Danny said. I don't know if Danny said this during the interview uh, when we were talking about Darius, but I, and I don't know if I think maybe this might have come when I was having a personal conversation with uh, Danny off the camera. But one of the things Danny always said to me was whenever I asked him, Danny, why? I mean, what? Why do you feel like we're doing too much for Darius? Like, or like oh, you just keep doing so much for Darius? Why? Why is that? And I remember one of the things there, uh, uh, Danny always said to me was. I feel I, I see myself I see my past in him as well what essentially what Danny is saying is hey maybe I, I didn't go like I wasn't homeless before maybe it, you know but I know the struggles he went through I understand some of that maybe not totally but I understand some of that and because of that I can have compassion on him as well and again that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to do to understand as Christians we need to be the most humble. Why? Because Christians are the people who are saying, I am, the, I am so wicked that I needed someone else to die for me. Do you see why Christians, we can't be like, no, oh, I'm better than you, you non-churchgoer, or oh, you people do drugs. We should never, ever say that. If anything, we should be saying, yeah, I'm worse than these people. I'm, I'm so bad, I'm such a sinner that I need Jesus' blood. Uh, let me just end with this. I, I always have a struggle when I'm preaching about uh, this kind of message. What I mean by this kind of message is uh, messages about social justice or helping the poor or doing outreach. I, I always have a difficult time because I know that it's really easy to just feel bad or feel guilty and so you help the poor for a week or even a month or you you watch a video like like George Floyd and you you feel so much injustice within you and, and you do some you want to do something about it but you forget it after a couple of weeks and that's what I'm always scared of that that it's just gonna be purely guilt that will move you to action or purely fear like kind of like you know the whole idea of like you're not gonna go to you're gonna go to hell kind of a thing if you don't help but it, it's really not about that again fear guilt these things yeah it'll move us it'll change it, it'll externally change our behaviors but again that's not what Jesus is calling us for did you re recognize how the people the righteous people who are um, the real righteous people not 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 actually not this the real righteous people they actually didn't even know that they were they were helping out Jesus. They weren't they weren't thinking about that. They were just doing it out of their own heart. And again, th that's what Jesus is actually calling us to do. He's calling all of us to have a radically changed heart. And I know that with you and with just okay, at least me, I know that that's not possible. I know that I I've helped out the poor out of guilt, out of fear, but. What, we, what Jesus is really calling us to do is to do it out of love. To really have a heart for them. 
And the only way we can really have a heart for these people who are oppressed, who are poor, who are widowed, orphans, immigrants, the only way we can help these people who are oppressed is by understanding that Jesus had compassion on us first. We were in the same state, and Jesus had compassion on me. So therefore, I could have compassion on others. Uh, David, in our Sabbath school, he always says, love is awakened only by love. Right? Our love to other people, the, the poor, are awakened only when we realize what God has done for us. Do you understand what God has done for you? Do you understand that even though you think you're doing fine, that you think you'll be able to stand in front of God and you'll be able to say, but look at all the resume I got. Look at all the stuff I did. None of those things are going to work. Do you understand the reality of your heart? Do you understand that in every one of our hearts, it's kind of like, we all have the potential to do what that officer did to George Floyd. But God does not leave us in hopelessness. God does not leave us without warning. No, God calls us to repentance. And He calls us so that He can change our hearts. Once again, Matthew 25, it's a great mirror. Whether to see, Am I just a fan of Jesus, or am I actually wanting to follow Jesus? As we go into time of reflection, I pray that you may really be honest enough to ask that question for yourself, and also to realize that you actually don't have the power to change, that you would ask God to change you. Let's go into time of reflection.